Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Welcome back to Fighting on Film, everybody. Uh, last week, we were talking about nuclear wastelands and Britain's ill-preparedness for a, a, a nuclear war. Um, but this week, we're back um, in our ballpark, a little bit a little bit safer territory, shall we say, with uh, Panafloff's 28 Men, which is a, a Russian war film. Uh, it's our first foreign language feature as well. Uh, the movie's completely in Russian, so we had to decipher um, badly translated subtitles on YouTube when we watched it. It's a, it's a fantastic film. Came out in 2016. Um, mm. It's about 105 minutes long, and it tells the story of uh, a platoon or the remnants of a company of the 316th Rifle Division um, during the Battle of Moscow in November 1941. It basically follows these 28 men as they hold off the German hordes. They hold off like a whole motorized German detachment. You know, there's panzers and, and infantry that, that, that are coming onto Moscow. Um, yeah. Uh, so the, the issue is with this film Matt, this week that there's no real standout actors. They're all they all seem to be jobbing like Russian actors. Yeah, they're all very competent. Yeah, yeah, but there's no standout big star that I could find like that, that to pin the movie on. It's a really interesting movie. Not even for in, you know, like in Russian terms. So not, they're not really well known in Russia either. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I had a look. But there's you know a lot of guys who've done maybe like Russian TV serials, um, you know, uh, Russian war movies as well as a lot of crossover there but there's no yeah yeah to, to to western audiences there's no true standout you know there's no one who's appeared in say like vikings on amazon or something like that you know mm-hmm. so the production uh we'll, we'll quickly get through it because it's a really interesting production so the movie's crowdfunded um back in 20, 2016 they had like uh partners with the film so it was like the russian historical society were helping out like um, a massive helper of the movie um, was the uh, video game company Gaijin Entertainment. Gaijin, probably pronouncing that wrong. The War Thunder. Um, yeah. Developers, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the War Thunder guys, and they just released that, the enlisted game that you see adverts for on YouTube before every video. Yeah, yeah, they're constant, aren't they? So they helped out. It's directed by a, a, a duo of, of uh, two men called Kim. I'm going to murder these Russian names this week. Apologies um, for any Russian listeners. Um, Kim Druzinin and Andre Shalopa. And uh, Andre also wrote the film too. And it had a budget of $1.7 million. That's roughly about £1.2 million. Pounds. Um, and it made $6.4 million uh, back. Uh, that's about uh, $3.6 million in, in pounds. That's amazing that this was made for under two mil. It's crazy, isn't it? It looks fantastic. Um, and that's about 385 million rubles. I think I read that they had some input from um, the Kazakh government because the division was actually a Kazakh division. And I think they also had some uh, funding, like a, like a million rubles or, or more from the Russian government as well. You know, the yeah uh, the, the Ministry of Culture, I think it was. Mm. That's it, yeah. And, they, and a lot of was, they had a Kickstarter campaign, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like 35,000 people supported it, something that's crazy. Amazing like that. Like really big numbers. Mm. It's a testament to the story of these, the 28 men and that legend around the war. Mm. You know, mm. that people were like, oh, I'd love to see a movie of this. 
yeah. suppose it's the same sort of thing like with us and, and we're like oh i'd love to see a, a film about you know imjin yeah exactly exactly this is, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago you know if this a movie like this can be made crowdfunded and, and crowdsourced sort of thing then why can't western filmmakers do more of this sort of thing if, for under two three million pounds yeah. that's you know come on it's it, you know it's crazy what they what they actually achieve so then also another thing about the movie that is is really interesting to, to me and matt this week is that this movie has really minimal cgi it's not like something practical I mean, effects yeah practical effects so it's not like the absolute horror fest that was d-day the battle of omaha um with <laughs> nicholas cage's son that we keep mentioning um on our Twitter and on, you know, Mary Buckman, a listener, she she recoils in horror whenever that movie is mentioned. Um, oh, Mary. Yeah. She dipped into it. Yeah. Oh. oh, gosh. So unlike that movie that just relies heavily on really bad stock animations, this movie just goes for mostly in-camera effects and it pulls it off fantastically. So they did one 16-inch models in a studio. They did on-location filming in the field. Mm-hmm. And he did um, some filming with one-to-one scale models. And there's some great photos online. You can find them really easily. Mm. You can see where they've positioned them. And so the actors have something real to interact with, which I think is really important. Mm. In post-production, they took it all and laid it up in post-production rather than it just being simply CGI. And I think when we watched it, like we only noticed one really janky bit, didn't we? With those German yeah. soldiers' legs disappearing. Oh yeah, there's a bit where... There's an overhead shot and it looks great. You know, they've got like loads of Panzer threes and fours going towards this trench system. Loads of guys marching forward as well. On the outskirts of it, there's some guys that clip into the floor, (laughs) just the legs in the floor. It's not that bad because they're in snow. There was no one running into a tree. So that's... No, (laughs) there's no one trying to find the underwater level. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it it looks great. You know, and they built a whole one one scale Panzer four, which you can't, you can't knock them for. And it looks fantastic. When I stumbled across this film about a couple of months ago and I watched, I skipped through it. It's like, because I assumed it was going to be like just any normal sort of like hyper Russian, very glossy, yeah. quite it's almost, you know, beyond belief. Everyone's running at machine gun positions going, oh, yeah. for the motherland. Exactly. And it's, yeah. you know, it's just, it's that, what that trope of what Russian war cinema has sort of become mm. where it's like, heavy on CGI, heavy on rhetoric. And then, you know, you get these battles that are not really believable. Yeah. So I thought, I'll skip through it. I'll see what it's like. Watched it. And I was I was really impressed. I thought, that's actually quite good. Like, the mm. cinematography in this is really beautiful. You know, the actors aren't, you know, they aren't uh, doing anything outlandish. You know, they're quite competent. It's nicely shot. The CGI, I just, I didn't even know about the models at that point. I thought well, the CGI is remarkably good. Mm. Um, so I was, I was like, Robbie, we need to like take a look at this because this is a really like good example of Russian war movie making. Like this is a, for a, a modern Russian war movie. This is like pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, even for a modern, modern war film is really impressive. You know, I suppose it's partially because it's not on this huge scale where it's like showing thousands of men, like mm. taking, you know, pushing the, backwards and forwards in Stalingrad and stuff, you know? Yeah, the origin of the story that they use to make the movie, like, on, that they adapt is, like, it's it's good in its own right sort yeah. of thing. So it's it's a bit more of a boy's own tale. But, yeah, it's just, it's just a really well shot, really tidy, neat little war film that doesn't, it, you know, it's quite rare these days. It doesn't uh, preoccupy itself with a secondary plot. 
it's a little bit like 50 star war films where it's just about the guys you know it's you know it's men in battle sort of stuff isn't it yeah it's a little bit like battleground it's a little bit like sea of sand or something like that you know where it's the guys on a mission and this is what they're doing there's no deviation from that and it's a last stand movie too and it's another last stand movie we, we bloody love last stand movies yeah. on the pod we don't think we've done more of those than we have anything else plot i've written a little hypnosis here so it's um 28 men from the 316th rifle division under the command of general panfilov stop a German force of 54 tanks and infantry advancing on Moscow in November 1941. And it's originally adapted from a, a report from the uh, the Red Army paper uh, called the Kranzia Zvezda. Oh, well done. I, I wasn't going to attempt that, but that was nicely done. <laughs> I used to reenact Russian uh, Red Army for a little bit, so I'm Zvezda, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the only one I'm pretty sure on. But apparently the accuracy is, is disputed, and you were looking into this, Matt, so I'm... Um, Really interested to see what you found. The story behind the actual tale of the 28 men is almost as interesting as like the film and the story itself. Mm. The story is that these this understrength company of uh, the 316th Rifle Division uh, held back three German battalions, armored battalions. The story goes that these men were you know fought to the last man. They all died. That's not what happens in the film, which is interesting, we'll, and we'll come back to that. So. There was a Red Army newspaper journalist called Vasily uh, Karativ, mm. and he wrote the first article, and he wrote it about 28 men that had fought in a battle within the Battle of Moscow. Right. So, you know, there were all, all the Red Army journalists writing, you know, patriotic stories about how the Red Army is holding the, the Germans back from Moscow, and it's, you know, it's the big climactic struggle for the motherland. Yeah, yeah. Karativ basically writes this story. Um, based on an account from the 316th Rifle Division's commissar. Okay. And he recounts the story of a group of men from the division that held off over 50 tanks and killed a lot of Germans, but were killed to a man. And the article gets published as um, Pamphilov's Guardsman in the Battle for Moscow. And it claims 18 tanks killed, um, but there's no mention of the 28 men. It doesn't okay. specify how many, or it doesn't specify where they were. And then there was another Red Army uh, newspaper journalist, uh, Alexander Kripitsky, who wrote uh, a follow-up piece called, um, I think it's The 28 Fallen Heroes. And it takes the original story from Kuritiv and it adds more detail. So it takes on another layer. He writes about 28 men from the 4th Company of the 1075th Regiment, 2nd Battalion, uh, which is was part of the 316th. He elaborates a little bit more. He mentions the company commissar, Diev, but then everyone wants to know more. Okay. So they want to know more detail because it, the story is gaining traction. The Soviet leadership likes it. Stalin likes it. They want to know the men. They want to find out who the men were. It's snowballing, isn't it? It's all it snow. Is. Yeah. So um, Kripitsky goes to the front and he talks to the commissar of the 316th but he can't find can't find out who these men are and he can't find a commissar called df either now it turns out that df was a nickname very convenient yeah. for another commissar who is the commissar that's um portrayed in the film as leading the the 28 men i got you um and what happens is they basically take the names from men that had died around that period they take 
28 names of men that had died in the week around the battle. And they cherry pick who is going to be those 28 men. So they get made heroes of the Soviet Union. Of course, yeah, yeah. And the story just takes on this sort of mythical, legendary sort of... It's like a talisman for Russian defence, you know, something like that. Exactly. It's, you know, it's that bleak point in the war where the Russian army's being pushed back. They're almost axed to the wall at Moscow. They need these big patriotic stories. It's the great patriotic war. And this story has become one of those sort of like foundation stories of you mm. know the, of the russian understanding and you know um mindset for the war mm. and then it turns out that out of the 28 men they picked not all of them were dead okay half a dozen of them turn out to have survived the battle oh wow it turns out that some of the people named deserted oh and it becomes a bit of a scandal and it's all covered up oh wow I'm not an expert on this and I would, you know, encourage anyone to go and like look into this and read into it because it's really interesting. Yeah. I've just read, you know, various sources on on the internet, you know, mm. Russian and English, whatever I could find. And, you know, I'm sure there's a pretty good book written about this somewhere. Um, this is not, there should yeah. be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it's really interesting. You know, it becomes this huge thing and, you know, to the point where there's giant statues yeah. erected on the battlefield. Yeah. At the end and, of the film, they pan out to it, don't they? They do. Yeah. And over the credits, you have another monument in um, Almaty in Kazakhstan that is, you know, it's Panaflov's men. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's all become a key part of the the mythology surrounding, you know, the Red Army's fight against, you know, the the Germans in 41. Because this is why this film is sort of an anomaly in that that space of all these straight to DVD over here. I mean, I know in Russia they get cinema releases, but you get all these sort of rousing patriotic feather movies where everyone's shouting hurrah and running at mg42 positions and yeah. everyone's like for stalin for the motherland or you know sort of how in um i know we, we tried to make a pact that we weren't going to mention it um <laughs> but kind of how when enemy at the gates all the russians are portrayed as this sort of card carrying uh stalinites um but yeah in this movie not really they don't they barely mention the regime or communism at all yeah. It might be mentioned. It's mentioned in a sort of way that me and you thought it's mentioned in a way that people would actually talk about it. Yeah. You know, rather than going, oh, the Comintern have just done this. How good to that, comrade? Exactly. It's more about, oh, did you hear that, you know, bread is being made now? Or did you hear about this? Yeah. And that's, that's another interesting thing about the film um, is the way that the actual bulletins or the, you know, the Russian newspaper that I can't pronounce. The Kranzia Zvezda. That's the one is <laughs> portrayed. So there's a bit where the, the the commissar, the company commissar is sat down and he's reading from the September bulletin. And, you know, one of the men jokes that, you know, of course I've heard this story. That's that bulletin's from two months ago. Yeah. You know, and you shouldn't believe everything you hear in the bulletin. Um, Cause it's talking about these patriotic actions where, you know, a guy took out a German machine gun position with a grenade and then he mm. fought off the platoon of Germans and then yeah. killed himself with his last grenade. Yeah, it's these sort of almost not really believable sort of propaganda stories that definitely appeared in Russian propaganda newspapers and the Red Army newspapers. It's interesting that the film is, you know, understands where its legend that it's based on has come from, mm. and he's kind of doing these little sly nods. The men at the front line probably didn't, you know, they probably liked the stories, but they probably didn't believe them completely. I mean, if you're if you're on the receiving end of a of a German attack. You know, you know how it is. If you read something that doesn't ring true in that 
in the army paper. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not, you know, it's not going to be real, but then the guy behind the lines or the guy in the trenches two miles away from you might not have had it as bad. So then he believes it. Then it, it all, it's all about reinforcing that it can do attitude, I guess. Um, but I've, I, interestingly enough, we talk about the things not ringing true and maybe being a little bit boy's own. So I've actually got a pamphlet called Stalingrad Fights On um, from 1942. And it's written by Kay Simonov. It's meant to be like a, an account of someone who was like there like a like a sort of bird's eye fly on the wall yeah. account of a, of the defense of Stalingrad but it, it really reads like a little bit like these like a commando comic a little bit yeah it's like oh yeah. when he stared down the panzer with his anti-tank gun he took it out men with semi-automatic rifles fired out of windows and we beat back the you know the the fascists i'm sure stuff like that happened but you know it's the way it's written isn't it yeah, it's, it's always just the way the way it's written. You're just like, hmm, I don't know. You know, it's not like yeah. something that... It's not like Ernie Pyle writes. You know, it's not... It doesn't have that sort of air of authenticity. Like a Victoria Cross citation. And, you, and yeah. you're like, wow. Yeah. Another thing about the movie, we didn't mention it before, but the Germans aren't portrayed in this movie in, in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before. Where the Germans don't have... It's not like someone portraying like a big mean evil ss german tank commander yes, who... you you already know that the germans are the enemy yeah you don't need to be shown that the germans are evil yeah you don't need someone like hessler to like reinforce the cartoonish sort of evilness of the yeah. of germans in movies sometimes the portrayal of the germans in this is really interesting yeah. because you barely see them you know up close when you do see them they've all got like the little like their scarves around their faces so they're not they're almost dehumanized in a way Yes, that's a good point, actually. There's a little review here, and I think it, it sums up a little bit about what we just talked about. Um, it's from a website called film.ru, which is a little bit like um, IMDb. Um, mm -hmm. So I've translated um, one, of the uh, one of the sections. There are neither special villains nor glorifications of Stalin and communism. This is a war movie about war, not politics, and the latter is manifested only in the multinationality of Panfilov's division. Formed from the regiments of Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, on the screen, colourful Russians, Kazakhs, Ukrainians are fighting shoulder to shoulder, and the nationality is sometimes mentioned, albeit in a friendly, joking way. Heroes find excuses for gloomy humour even in the midst of battle. By the German side of the battle is not personified. The Nazis appear as, as a kind of zombie from a video game. They roll onto Soviet positions, the Red Army men beat them off, and so on and so forth until the end of the picture. This is war, but not a dramatic conflict, not a clash of characters, and since Soviet soldiers are depicted, in essence, as people without fear and reproach, they also have no internal conflicts. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. And it ends with, it's more of a guide to professional warfare than, example, than an example of well-thought-out drama. I think the fact that you don't see the enemy, mm. uh, especially not the infantry, you, br you briefly see some German tank commanders and some tank crew up close when the, um, yeah. you know. There's one, I think there's, one German that has a line at the end when he's on top of his tank. Yeah, he tells him to fall back, doesn't he, or something like that. Yeah, he just yeah. No, they're just the enemy, aren't they? I, I think it, the film is relatively two D in that respect. Mm. You know, it's not trying to tell us, or you know, it's not trying to portray anything deep. No, it's men in combat. It's not an anti-war movie. It's not a pro-war movie. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say it's that. No. Kind of just telling the story. It's not trying to yeah. to say anything too cerebral. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, they, they're not they're not layering anything else on. I think that's what we keep coming back to is that it doesn't feel like it's been politicized and it doesn't feel like it's been. There's no real message. 
It's just watch what these guys are doing. It's very much an action movie, I think. Yeah, it's, it is an action film. Maybe it doesn't have anything more to say than just that. Like appreciate, mm. you know, whether the 28 men were the 28 men or not. I think the, at the end of the day, the movie's just trying to say, lads did this around Moscow. Not just these 28 men, but... Yes, yeah, that's very... Hundreds yeah. of men, mm. you know, appreciate what they did in the historical sense of they saved Russia or something like that. I think it does its job well. To double back a little bit mm-hmm. and to give a little bit of context of what they think actually happened. Right. So from that battalion, the um, 1075th, the second, sorry, the second battalion of the 1075th regiment, mm-hmm. um, they think that four understrength companies were in the line. They saw action, but they probably weren't anywhere near where the stories put them. Okay. Near a railway, uh, a railway junction. And it's sort of become this, you know, honored sacred part of the Soviet law around around the war. Yeah. To the point where I read on one of the articles, Brezhnev in the 60s said, anyone that doubts the story is slandering the heroic past of, you know, the Soviet people. Wow. That's, that's, that's strong. You can't, once that's been said by the premier, you can't really argue with it, can you? Yeah. <laughs> Don't annoy. And that survives <laughs> yeah. to today. Wow. Because when the film was being crowdfunded in 2015, the, uh, the Russian state archivist, uh, the director of the Russian state archive, cited historical documents that said that pointed to the fact that the actual portrayal of the of the men in that story in the legend isn't necessarily you know completely accurate mm. to the point where i think he was removed from his job oh wow and the minister of um culture said something like um you can't really argue with the sacred legend and, and it's impossible to besmirch and people that try to do that are total scumbags wow well. yeah <laughs> So, you know, there's a clear line from Stalin, yeah, yeah. like in the story, through to Brezhnev, seeing it as part of the Soviet mm. legend, you know, and that is part of the Soviet history of the struggle of the patriotic war, mm. through to the current sort of Russian government saying, no, this should still be revered, although we aren't a communist country anymore. It's still the great struggle of the Russian people and the story of the 28 men is ingrained within that. It's on that sort of like fascinating bleeding edge where legend meets history. It sits on, it sits on the fence of myth and history, doesn't it? When it find, the movie finds a good balance, I think. Yeah, and the film doesn't actually replicate the legend in totality because the six men at the end survive. Yeah, of course. And that's kind of a nod to the, you know, the six men of the 28 they just picked to be the 28. They did survive, you know, so it's the kind of, they've done their research. They wink, they wink to the audience. If you yeah. know, you know, sort of thing. Exactly. I think that's it. So I guess that brings us to the alley tally. And there's a lot this week. It's time for alley tally on fighting on film. There's a lot to cover this week. But for those who haven't listened before, the Alley Tally is where we discuss some of the cool kit and weaponry and anything really interesting mm. that we hand, that we can sort of like pick out of the film. Um, so Rob, what have you got for this week? I've got in my notes that it's like a, a, a who's who of Russian small arms, 1941. Yeah. But yeah, it's all iconic, isn't it? It's all iconic Russian weaponry. So the things I look, my little things I've picked out is, um, you know, that you've got the PTRD 41 anti-tank rifle yeah uh, a really nice to see ppd 40 which is mm-hmm. 
a everyone thinks PPSH. Um, there is one in it, but the PPD40 is an earlier um, drum magazine SMG that the Russians yeah. used. And you get Mosins. There's an SVT40 in there. You know, there's there's anti tank guns. As I said, it's a, it's a who's who. Um, and I liked also seeing the um, the different Russian uniforms. So we get the Telegreeka, which is the, if you don't know what a Telegreeka is, it's the padded coat that the Red Army soldiers always have. Um, and that's, a, that's called a, a Telegreeka. But then also there's guys in like early war, 1941, grey great coats and hats. So it's like a nice little mix because the, 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 the Russians were in this transitional period of sort of, there's some new kit and there's some old kit. Yeah, guys have got stuff that they had in the 30s and early and new stuff's coming online. So the PPSH 41's in there as like a nod to sort of this is new weaponry coming through. And the SPD 40, brand new at the time, you know. You were looking at researching the, the weaponry in a, in a division, in a platoon level. Actually, this is quite accurate because everything is represented quite well. Yeah, so there's two PTRD 41s that are bolt action anti tank rifles. So, you know, you. You get a single shot and it's a bolt action action. Um, and then there's a couple of um, 45 millimeter uh, 53K anti tank guns, which are sort of like the small yeah. crew served anti tank guns on little carriages. They're really iconic, aren't they? They're, yeah, they're, they are. They're pretty much the. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Only anti-tank gun the Russians use, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, the the light anti-tank weapon of, you know, uh, and at that point in the war, they definitely are the only real anti-tank gun that the the Soviets have. Um, Lots of cool stuff, like, you know, there's a load of different grenades in there. There's RPG-40 grenades, RPG-33s. There's that really uh, interesting um, couple of shots where they show them with Molotovs, and, you know, they're talking about what the Molotovs can do. Incendiary bottles, aren't they? That's what I think they're called. Yeah. And they've got the the grenades where they've wrapped a load of um, RPG thirty three grenades together mm. to make an anti tank like a concussion yeah. sort of thing that they can throw. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment, I suppose. But yeah, because these feed into scenes, don't they? The weaponry exactly, is very much because the meat of the film, really the the second two acts, yeah, um, are mostly just the battle. Probably like 40 minutes out of action in the movie, which is quite nice. Like the trench system as well. It it yeah. looked, it didn't like, you know, it's not, it wasn't overdone. It felt like they dug it like a few days previously and that you see him digging it as well. Yeah. And they got the camouflage net over the top. It's very, you know, someone has done their research on mm. this movie because they, they, you know, there's a couple of shots where they show the anti-tank 
guns being dug in. That's it. And yeah. we get this really lovely sort of like overhead shot of showing the guys digging the trench. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, the cinematography of the film is really excellent. Really nice. And it's way better than I thought it was going to be. Because, you know, you, you weren't sure what to expect going in. And you think, hang on a minute. The, 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 the staging of every shot, it feels like someone's sort of really sat down and thought about every single little bit, even down to little pieces of mise-en-scene where you've got a guy with the, I think it's the PPD, mm-hmm. you know, the guy with the PPD, he's made a little dugout in the side of the trench and put his drum mags on. Yeah. So it's easier yeah. for him to reload. And you've got lads have put grenades in, in little areas where they obviously think they're going to engage tanks. Yeah. So everything's got a place. It, it, it's just really nice to see. It's like, and that can all be pulled from manuals. You know, that's that's all there. It's, it's, it's written into the manuals. It's in accounts of troops. It's just, it's just really good. It is. And they, they actually set up decoys as well. Oh, yeah. The men move into the line. They dig their trenches. Battle. That's yeah. it. And basically, um, it shows them digging a series of trenches in front of their position. Reconnaissance plane comes over, spots the positions, obviously notes it because that's what gets bombarded. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it shows the men like setting up a, an artillery piece, you know, and, and they're covering it. It's just logs. But, you know, they're making it look like a, like a field gun. And then um, then they go and dig their, their proper positions. And then all hell lets loose for about 40 minutes. Yeah. That's really good. Um, any other rally? Yeah, I think yeah. my pick is um, the M1910, the Maxim gun. So we get to see all these cool weapons like the Mosin-Nagant 9130s and they have some um, Mosin-Nagant 38 carbines. Yeah, they're they were. quite rare. I, I, yeah, because we were watching, I thought, are they are they 41s? Have they got some, they've got some of their own big tens out there? Yeah. Like, yeah, sorry, 44s. And I was like, oh no, 38's cool. Mm. But it's not that little attention to detail again because their they're anti-tank crews have the carbines, which is really nice. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. another little... And addition. that comes, I think, from there's two museums helped a lot yeah. with this. Um, I, I can't remember which two they are. It's, it's listed. I think it's on the Wikipedia page or something like mm. that. Um, but two Russian military museums helped with kit and uniforms. Yep. So they were probably historical advisors as well. So I think that helped a lot when it came to the weapons and kit. Um, so, yeah, so we see like DP-27s, which is really cool. You don't see those in films mm-hmm. very often. Um as Rob mentioned, the PPD-40, which is the precursor, the Pavashar 41, which kind of like the, the most famous sort of iconic weapon of the Soviet you know, yeah. army during the war. And then we get on the flank, which is really cool. They sort of like in the in the scenes where they're showing preparation, they dig a little sort of machine gun pit. Mm. Um, so the basic layout is center is like a is the infantry positions left flank facing the enemy is the anti-tank guns and that's in like a kind of wooded area yep and then on the other flank there's a um machine gun position and then i assume on the you know on after the machine gun position there's you know another battalion another company whatever reading some documents like and watching some videos about the way panzers were deployed i think those panzer commanders are going against tactic and doctrine because they're 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 way too close to that wooded area. Because in one of the pamphlets mm-hmm. about the tank the Panzer commanding, it's like don't drive too close to wooded areas because they're they're ideal spots for ambushes and things. So it's quite interesting. But then it's yeah, they're all, they seem like they're bottlenecked into that position. Sort yeah, of thing. definitely do. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's woods either side. They have to go that way. 
Which I suppose is where the Soviets would have picked a position like that. Yeah, definitely. that's where they would have. Yeah. That's the kind of position they would have picked. Yeah, and you know maybe you know there was no other way forward for that no. German company. So on the right flank there is the machine gun, and you get these really beautiful shots, close-ups. It's, it's literally um, M1910 Max in pawn because it's just it's it's a two-man position. Uh, the gunner doesn't take his finger off the trigger the entire time. He's just pouring rounds down. Yeah. Um, kind of inaccurate because you know you don't see any steam coming off the jacket. He hasn't got <laughs> he hasn't got um yeah. Richard be absolutely lit. Oh Richard B um, is not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there's no condenser can, there's no water in there, there's nothing. But he's like laying it down. And mm. there's two scenes where he's key. So the first one is he scythes down the German infantry supporting the tanks. And that gives the guys in the trench time to use the PTRD 41 um, anti-tank rifles. Yep. And, you know, they would have been overrun by the infantry if, you know, they hadn't been, you know, dealt with. Um, but it, the, the cinematography again comes in and you get these really nice tight shots of, you know, like the, the cocking handle reciprocating and the spent cases popping out the um, ejection tube at the front of the, of the gun, just drip, just like pouring out. Like, it's like mm. a downpour of spent cases. It's really nice, isn't it? It's yeah, it really is good, mm. and it, that was one of my favourite scenes. I thought that is a nice portrayal of you know Maxim Gun doing what a Maxim Gun probably would have done in a battle yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And it's nice that it's on its proper mounting, and the guy pulls it along wherever he goes. Yeah, it's on its its wheeled mount, and they sort of like lift yeah. it up onto the parapet, and then when they're not using it, they take it down off the parapet. You even get a section of them putting on the armor plate shield in front yeah. of it, which yeah. is really nice too. Yeah, and they kind of like discuss where they would put the armor plate. Like he sort yeah. of like talks about maybe putting it at the side, doesn't he, or something like that? You know, it's like draw fire. Be careful where you put that. You know, it's a bit yeah, obvious, yeah, it's yeah, obvious what it. we are or something. Yeah, we're not sure if the the trans the subs we had were yeah good di- translations or not. Um, it's only one thing that let the film down for me was like almost didn't want to watch it with subtitles because I think you still can get the gist of it even if you don't. Yeah, you totally can. Like it'd be good to have some um, proper subs. I, wouldn't, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I'd want it overdubbed. No, I don't think that wouldn't work. I find me. dubbed films quite distracting because I just end up watching their lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and then sometimes, obviously, words and sentences aren't long enough. So you get, yeah. like, you have people haven't stopped talking when the, the dub ends, and that's always really annoying. Yeah. I think what you just said there about the, the Maxim gun transitioned perfectly into fave scenes. So Matt, fave scenes apart from the Maxim gun sections? Okay, so actually there's one that I really liked before the battle. Okay. So there's a scene um, at the very beginning of the film where they're all gathered around the table in the camp and there's a um, an officer who's basically telling them about German tanks Ooh, yeah, and German yeah. armour. And he explains how you knock out a tank. And he talks about, um, is it, oh God, what's the is, what's the Czech tank? Panzer 38T. 38T, that's it, thank yeah. you. I knew it was 38 something, I just could not remember it. So yeah, so the 38Ts, and he talks about how the, the, the arm is riveted and it's, you know, the PTRD can punch you that no problem at 400 yards, but the Germans aren't going to lead with those. They're going to bring up the big stuff first, and they do. And so he's, you know, he's drawing out little sketches of them and he's showing you where the he machine guns like are. He draws like a and... really good stick 38T. 
Because yeah, really yeah. good. Like I wanted to see his mark, you know, his, his Panzer Four. I wanted to see the other, <laughs> like, so dear. Yeah. Just leave yeah. me with this guy for ten minutes. Just drawing tanks would be great. Like the Bob <laughs> Ross of the Soviet Army. <laughs> so Bob Rossovich. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, and then it sort of transitions into. There's a bit of humour, which is nice. You know, he's talking about. Um, the, the when he when he brings out the Molotov cocktails, he's talking about, uh, and he's like one of the big Russian sort of like just enlisted men like takes a bottle and he's like, I'd normally prefer cognac, you know, that kind of thing. And he's joking <laughs> yeah, about what's in the bottles. A little bit later on, there's a scene where they, they basically build like a mock tank to practice bombing. That's it. And the guys are dragging it on a sled and, you know, they're throwing um, fake bombs at it. And that's just a really interesting scene, which you can totally see happening. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed that bit. That was one of my favorite scenes. I've got a couple of others in the battle. That one was a really good one. It was nice because it, it it showed men being trained to do something like on the fly. So it mm. it felt like that you know these were new men. You got to train them up quick, and then the sort of in them even in the battle, there's an ad hoc nature to like taking out the tanks. You can tell they've been yeah. trained to do it, but you know there's always different circumstances. So it's a, always yeah. changes a little well, the bit every time. Like, these are new. They ignite on their own. Yeah. So you don't have to light the like you know. Like, on a Molotov, you have to light the fuse and, and throw it in it. That in it, when the glass breaks, that ignites the, mm. you know, the, the the contents. Which is also nice to see movies with actual incendiary bottles, not Molotov cocktails. That was mm. nice to see. You know, it, it was just it's just something different that you don't see. Yeah, very it's often. that level of attention to detail that's really good about this film. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they've paid attention to the tactical details and the weapons. And one of the interesting yep. things I didn't mention in Ali Talik was the fact that this film doesn't appear to have any stripper clips in it at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, none of the lads were using stripper clips. Yeah, so yeah. the SVT-40 and the Mosin Nagant rifles are clip-fed. They're fed yep. by five-round stripper clips. And if you don't know what a stripper clip is, you open the action of the weapon, there's a little guide, and then you pop the strip into that guide, and then you push with your thumb the bullets or the rounds into the action. It's, just, it's the bit of metal that keeps keep yeah. the five bullets together don't they yeah but there's none of those in this film no there's not no because there's not. that really interesting little bit where you see the guy with a, a mosin on his knee yeah and he has the underneath of the magazine open and he's singly loading in yeah rounds. which isn't I, i've never seen it done that way and mm. i've never operated a mosin that way i can only assume that stripper clips hadn't been delivered with their ammo i couldn't find anything that did or didn't verify whether they were issued them or not at no, times no um, I mean, stripper clips have been a key part of the Mosin-Nagant system since it was introduced. Yeah. You know, in 1891. So I, mean, I, I assume that possibly they, they'd had pouches of stripper clips and then during that first engagement, they'd used them all up and they just had boxes of spare rounds. Possible. But I don't know how Mosin rounds get delivered, where they get delivered with stripper clips already, like in... in I think so. I think they might have like it. Yeah. Bit of a weird one, you know, but it, it's... It's a small thing, but it did stand out a little bit. It's not inherently wrong. No, not at all. No, it's just something interesting I noticed. So for me, I mean, this week, what took me back was was just the depiction of infantry take, knocking out tanks on their own, mm-hmm. um, which was really nice. So the, the eight, about halfway towards the end of the film, the 45mm tank guns both get knocked out. Um, and you get quite a good... Heroically. Heroic scene where the guy's loading it on his own firing at panzers taking a couple out and then he gets he gets basically gets a cannon shell to the face yeah um, he's 
he's being Red Army uh, Baskerville, isn't he? Yeah, oh yeah, massively, massively, yeah, yeah. But then after that, all the the, the, the infantry have to wait for the tanks to come really close because they the, the PTRD is just a pinging off. You know, they're not doing. Yeah, they occasionally get the lucky track hit, don't yeah, they? Yeah, or... they hit a track. There's one bit where a guy gets it through the, the vision slit and his head just comes off and his co-driver just turns to him, like the radio operator or something, just looks at him and goes, oh. There's a couple of those scenes that are like really visceral. So there's that one where the, the PTRD round just smashes through the vision slit and decapitates him. And then there's another where a guy outside the tank gets his leg taken off. It goes through him and then hits the track, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. That's really That gruesome. was like, wow, okay. And then you get a bit where the, they, they've knocked out a tank and the the, the tank crewman's coming out of the, the side hatch of the Panzer's turret yeah. and he's got an MP40 and the big burly guy you see at the start kicks him back into the tank and throw, throws a, a, a Molotov in with a grenade and then yeah, it just explodes. You're like, wow, that's like, you know, amazing. It is. And, you know, that's the reaction you get because the Germans have been completely dehumanised in this. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, oh, wow, Jesus. Yeah. So you're not you're not thinking people at that point. You're no, like, you're not. You're you know, not. You sort of get whipped up in that sort of frenzy of the, the actual troops themselves is that they're acting mm. so quickly. Maybe they're not even realising what they're doing. It's just fight or flight. Survival. And it is a film about survival. In the film, you don't get bored of seeing the same thing five or six times. Because they throw them on, they throw the incendiary bottle onto the tank, you know, make the fire, maybe hoping, trying to get some of that liquid flame to seep into the tank somehow. And then you get a guy either throwing a, getting up close and, and throwing a, a grenade into the tank or running up onto it and throwing one into the hatch. But that never gets boring because it's all in different sort of, the stakes are different every time. Yeah, there's variation too, isn't there? So there's a, at the beginning, they get up fairly close and the PTRDs aren't like, managing to hold them off yeah about 100 yards and then they get really close um and they are literally they're throwing grenades and they're taking off the tracks in front of them and then they're hitting them with a molotov and in between that you've got some guys running around moving the ptrd to different uh, positions which is really good to see that's really you know quite authentic um and then you know there's another scene where the tank actually drives over the trench and a guy throws one of the um rpg 40 anti-tank grenades up onto the back of the, yeah, the tank. Nice. I think it's a Mark three or four. I don't know. Yes. I think it's a four actually. And it, you know, that knocks that tank out and they hit it with a Molotov. And it's just that sort of procedural nature. Mm. And that's what they would have been taught. You're like, knock out the track, hit it with a Molotov or an incendiary yeah. ball. You know, that's the key. And then I think for, for my final favorite bit, I don't know if I'm not, I'm not nicking it from you. Um, it's just the end bit where they're all sort of, they were out of ammo all the faceless German troops are coming up and it, everyone looks like they're done for, you know, the guys are checking their mags, they're checking their pouches. They haven't got any left, yeah. any ammo left, a gear. They tool themselves up with shovels and, and, and knives. And one guy's got like a little hatchet. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really accurate. You know, you've seen mm -hmm. like, you know, I know that Russian troops sharpen the end of their shovels to use as, um, as, as weapons. And Oh yeah. 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 It was, it was vicious fighting. I like the bit where they're throwing rocks too. Oh yeah, they throw rocks, they run out of grenades, they throw rocks. But yeah, so this all looks dumb for one guy that has an MP40 or a 38 at one point. Yeah. Looks like a 38 actually. Um, it's a 38, I think. And you know, there's there's a bit where one of the officers takes out his TT33, his Tokarev. He's he's giving he's it firing over the parapet. Because his um I think his PPSH is, is run out of ammo. 
Yeah. That's really, you know, that's kind of a bit tropey. We're getting a into little the bit. Bits. So yeah. there's a few tropes. So there's the bit where, you know, like there's the guy running the anti-tank gun on his own because his crew's been killed. Yeah, yeah. And you, it's always, you always have him doing the bolt. Like in all these movies, if, if there's an action to be done with a weapon, it's always done so laboriously. So he like throws up that bolt and rams yeah. it back, puts a thing in. It looks so like, oh, it's so difficult for me on my own, you know, sort of trope, you know? Yeah. It's fighting hard, Rob. It's fighting, fighting hard. hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the bit where the guy, like, get, as you mentioned, gets kicked back into the tank, that's a little bit tropey. Um, the bit where they're getting ready with their bayonets, that's a little bit tropey. You know, last yeah. rounds, you know, like that's it, yeah. But I like it because they're all they're all huddled together and the guys like <laughs> some guys are holding their like knives in front of them, some guys have it down by their like waist, you know, they're all hyping themselves up. Yeah. And then that maxim opens up again. Which is super tropey. Yeah, really tropey. Like, there's one guy on the last machine like machine gun post they've got and he absolutely gives it some. Well it gets knocked out by um a Panzer Four, doesn't it? That's it. After just while he's he's sort of side down the, the German infantry and then he carries on firing while staring at the Panzer IV that's aiming at him, which is, you know, that's kind of getting into that realm yeah. of Russian war movie-ish, kind of like, come on now. But it isn't done with like the same sort of gloss. No. So it's kind of forgivable. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, anyway, that gets knocked out. And then out of nowhere at the end, like they're all like going, oh God, no, God, no, I'm left. We're down to like, hatchets and bayonets and then you know the germans are right on the edge of the parapet the the soil's falling down the edge of the trench which is a lovely piece of like cinematography because it's really nicely shot mm. and then the, the the maxim opens up on the flank and it takes everyone out but there's one mm. thing we haven't mentioned and we can't not mention it because it was so odd was that panzer three or four filling in the trench oh yeah like with the dead guys yeah, that was really weird, wasn't it? Yeah. So one of the panzers gets really close, and this is really towards the end. It might be the last 20-odd minutes before the, the guys sort of sort themselves up for hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. But this panzer is on the trench system, and there's dead Russians um, there, and it goes left and right on the top to, like, fill in, fill in the trench to, like, bury the yeah. dead. And I don't know if that actually ever happened. I think he. I think he was trying to like crush anyone that was still hiding there. Yeah, that's what I thought. But in the movie, it's sort of portrayed as like him filling in the dead bodies he, he, or something. So, well, yeah, one of the guys is like trying to crawl for away from it, isn't he? And the, the sides are falling, and it's really nicely shot. It's nicely shot, but it's it's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit tropey, and you know the way that was something tanks did. They did okay. sort of when they got to a position, they knew that bombs had been thrown from or that there was a position on it they'd try and break it up right i can get that then okay but they wouldn't have followed someone down the trench <laughs> yeah he did follow him like didn't that. he yeah he yeah. kind of followed him it could it but would yeah. have benefited from maybe a shot from inside the tank again and maybe like one, yeah like a, like a gem like yeah the tank commander pointing and being yeah, like maybe yeah drive along the like we'll just we'll just roll up them yeah or like teach these communists a lesson or something you know maybe just one line or something you know, maybe just a little bit of context from the Germans would have been nice at least once. So yeah, I think that wraps up uh, favourite scenes for this week. So I think we're into final thoughts territory again. Um, Matt, lead us off surprisingly good like the cinematography was really impressive you know we had those nice overhead shots 
the tight shots from the bottom of the trench. So there's a really cool shot where the, the tank has uh, been knocked out over the over the trench and you see the guy like crawl underneath um, yeah. after he's thrown a Molotov. You know, it's just these kind of like nicely composed shots and, you know, the use of landscape, some nice dolly shots, just knowing that it was all practically done and then laid in post was interesting to learn. You know, it wasn't just a CGI tank. It was a model yeah, laid onto the actual, you know, landscape. That was impressive. Um, you know, those nice shots where, you know, the rumble of the tank is, you know, it's the earth is slipping down, you know, the the, para, the palisade of the, of the trench. Just really cool. Just well acted and pretty well directed as well. The general's story isn't trying to do anything cerebral, as I said earlier. It's just basically trying to tell a typical story of a, you know of a Russian defensive position. Half a dozen of the guys survive. A lot of them get get killed, which is exactly what would have you know what happened. Um, perhaps not with the twenty eight men, as no. we you know discussed. That was a little bit too much of a legend, and that's kind of been embraced by the film i think where they've taken that on and sort of nodded to it yeah and it's more of just a portrayal of the defense of moscow basically you know, it's it's a portrayal of that battle more than it is the full legend it's just a really good portrayal of a small unit action and that's it's that's its overall strength and for me it's the scale of, of the scale of the movie that is it's like i wouldn't say saving grace the movie doesn't need to be saved it's a really good film but it's just one of the overall all things for me is that I really like the scale. You know, I never felt that one side was being portrayed as overpowered than another. Overall, I thought it was a great little film. You know, I can't knock it. And for an indie production, it's really, really up there. Yeah. I mean, perhaps the number of tanks knocked out is a little bit, you know, possibly, possibly too optimistic. Maybe. But, yeah. you know, I think you're right. I think it is. It, I enjoyed it. I, um, I think it's a good last stand film, definitely. And it's, it's available as well to watch. It's on YouTube, the production company that made it put it up. So, you know, this week we're lucky that anyone who wants to go and watch it is available up on for free on YouTube to watch, um, which is really, really nice. Yeah, I think it's up there in sort of an effort to raise awareness of their next film that they're working on, which is about a, a lady Soviet pilot. Yeah, they're working on um, that. And there's some pre-production like production footage of that looks really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's like a little trailer and, and stuff yeah. for that, that that I think they're working on actively right now. Yeah, we'll definitely follow that up when it comes out because I think mm. they if they're going to do a great job on a, a ground-based flick, I want to see what they do with an aerial film. Yeah, I'm just wondering what it'll be like. It'll be probably a bit more reliant on CGI. So Possibly. Which might lay down a little bit. but They were making Sturmoviks in that film. Um, they were. In that uh, film, you know, yeah. I think they'll have some nice, like, um, ground shots, you know, taxiing and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so that'd yeah. definitely be pretty cool. We'll keep an eye out for that one. So I think that wraps up for this week again. You know, a, a great film. If you're into your Eastern Front stuff, I mean, you can do a lot worse. Uh, hit that notification bell or button or whatever it is on the app that you're you're listening to so you don't miss out. You can also support the pod on Patreon now. So if you go to Fighting on Film uh, on Patreon, just search for it on, uh, on Google or, or yeah. from the website, fightingonfilm.com. Uh, you know, a few of you guys have been very kind and and done yeah. so. But you can also support us by letting other people know about the podcast as well. Definitely. Um, so if you want to, you know, spread the word to family and friends that might be interested in listening, please do. Yeah, and we're we're very grateful for everyone who's who's pledged on the Patreon so far. Um, you know, we've got some good things coming up this year, and we hope that we can all share them with you. That's it for this week. We'll catch you next time. 
Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.